Hello, 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 and welcome to this week's episode of the Imaginary Movie Podcast, a podcast where we watch a movie and then we talk about it. My name's David, and I'm going to ask you ten times, Sam. Ten times. Uh, my name's Sam, and we make our own choices. We pay our own prices. And I'm Ross. Sam, Dave, do you guys know the difference between a good podcast and a bad podcast? No, apparently. No. Me neither. <laughs> and apparently that's a cool thing to say. <laughs> Here we go. Here we are. We're into it. So this week, uh, we watched the 1996 film, the directorial debut of the Wachowskis, uh, called Bound, um, which is a movie nobody saw. However, we are going to do our Twitter summary. So I'm going to start with Ross. Ross, tell us about this film. Oh, okay. So uh, two lesbian women who are lesbian, be lesbians. Oh, and there's also mobsters, and they steal money, and uh, they steal money from the mobsters and other stuff. Great, Sam. Finn, uh, a slick, wonderfully crafted movie about sex, money, and why shooting your mafia boss in the face isn't a great career move. Brilliant. And uh, mine is um, a hard-working mob businessman um, has his whole life ruined and is eventually <laughs> murdered. When his girlfriend decides she likes women. Decides? Oh, you think it's wow. a choice? Oh, wow. Get in. That's oh, it, Sam. Get in. I now. can't believe you're on me when Ross said the word lesbians eight times in his in his intro. Well, I'm just I'm just making a point that they think that it's it, it's worth making a point that they're lesbians. Why why does this, their sexuality have to be such the mainstay of the movie? I mean, they can be the lesbians and they can be badass. Because the whole plot pivots, I suppose. Yes, Ross? but they can be lesbians and they can be badass. Like, if it was a man and a woman going about gallivanting and be like, yeah, you're standard plot, but because they're lesbians, that somehow fucking makes this even more fantastical. And there's no problem that, and maybe I'm getting ahead of myself, but there's no problem with them being lesbians. But the fact that the directors and the writers seem to think that it's such a big deal to to make of the fact that they're lesbians when they're just people who are well, attracted I guess to one another. Is that what's happening? Is you're looking at this from your twenty twenty fairly woke perspective? I uh, am fairly woke, yay. Exactly. Uh, the last the last time I'll ever say that about you. Um, <laughs> and you're looking at it as a fact, like yes, these women's sexuality shouldn't be, you know, this shouldn't <laughs> be the overriding like factor in their lives do you know what i mean because it's been normalized but this is 1996 where absolutely you know, absolutely like yeah I being do, gay I... is still a crime in a lot of places you know and i mm-hmm. guess that hasn't changed much these days but <laughs> yeah the, should, should, we, should we describe what this movie is because it is one of those films that people wouldn't necessarily have seen i'd never seen it and was a bit confused as to what it is as well it's you know even the title, I don't think, is a particularly strong title. It's like quite Bound, hard to found, find as well. You basically just get like a load of, um, what's the word, erotica, if you put this in um, yeah. Amazon Prime. Um, God, yes. yes. So but much like, erotica. But So in this movie, we, we get a tux, uh, tough ex-con, Corky, and uh, she meets um, Violet, who they turn, become lovers, and can cut a scheme to steal, to steal millions of dollars from... Um, uh, the mob and then pin the blame on Violet's crooked boyfriend Caesar so <clears throat> really the film is is centers around Corky Violet and Caesar they're the, the main three characters and then we see how all of this unravels and you know what 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 happens to the money what happens to the the, the, the characters and the, and the and the the mob bosses and all that stuff really become kind of 
spirals together, I suppose, um, as we get to the culmination of the movie. It certainly does. Um, and now an interesting, the reason that nobody ever saw this film, um, and there's a couple of things really I want to get, get into off the top. This film was made on a budget of six million, which is not a lot. And it made seven million at the box office, which is also not a lot. Um, so no one got Profit, rich. Though. Profitable, but no one got no one got rich off this movie, you know. And um, and it, it kind of the cast is like very early in their careers as well, um, which I'm sure we'll get into at some point. And I guess the other reason that this film didn't hit hit the audience in a massive way um, is because of the sex scene. Um, mm. So it's kind of elephant in the room here. Like there's a like quite you know graphic lesbian sex scene in this movie. Only one, to be fair, um, but it made problems for this movie before it was released with the ratings board in America, and I suspect it's probably why this was never on TV. I never remember seeing it on TV. Certainly, um, is because it's maybe just a little bit on like on the edge of like we cannot put this on before ten pm, and therefore we won't put it on. Mm. It's one of um, I think it's one of the best sex scenes I've ever seen in a movie. <laughs> Because because most of the time, most of the time, there you know, sex in movies is pretty terrible. It's very very cringy and like really, you know, you spend the whole time just feeling a bit uncomfortable like you're watching this. But I think this is this the, the I think the the eroticism of this movie is for me perfectly pitched and adds to the the overall themes and the overall kind of feel and 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 tone of the film in a way that I think is is really really good so i'm i yeah definitely you can see this wouldn't be on a sunday afternoon on bbc one in any in any universe you wouldn't want to watch it with your family either would you certainly no, not no um, it's it's it's, like quite, said, it's not it's not graphic is it but it's i think it's no it's but it's one of those things if you're watching with your mum and dad when you're like 16 you'd like like just stare a hole through the wall just <laughs> and no one speaks and god Ooh, let this be i have soon. a i have a childhood story time for some unknown reason, we ended up watching me and me and the family when I was fifteen or or so. Um, someone put on American Pie two, <laughs> and it was one of the most awkward experiences of my entire life. I ended up leaving the room and being like, "I can't, I can't deal here." Um, <laughs> I cannot this be film here with my mother. <laughs> oh. so, so, Dave, can you give us what? Give us a heads up of of your you know what? Why do you like this movie? Um, I really really love this movie and i just kind of like stumbled across it because of my um increasingly uh diverting um, obsession with mob movies um and so i just found it on 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 prime or something i was like, oh a mob movie great i'll watch that and then and i just watched it like joe pantoliano i know him i like him and jennifer tilly i've seen her in literally liar liar and that's it great um, yeah. so i watched it and and you know what it, i love about this movie is that it's a small movie, and I think that I'm going to once again refer to the, the, the Goliath that is the Marvel films as movies that demand a lot of you as a viewer in terms of like universe building. And there is a place, there is place for movies like that, but this is kind of like the anti, uh, you know, the opposite of that. It's it's a movie that tells you everything you need to know about the very small cast of characters. It all takes place in one place, and it's just like you're just watching these characters play off, these actors play off each other and, and it's and it's really small in that scope 
which is quite pleasant to just be like to watch it and then be done with it. Mm-hmm. And it, it doesn't make it doesn't have the baggage of, of a you know a larger sort of um, a larger franchise or you know um, I, I guess it's not quite it, it's not quite a bottle movie, is it? No, you know, like which is which is where something like Phone Booth is a good example yeah. of a bottle movie where it just happens in one place, but it's not far off that in terms of. You're in this a couple of rooms in the apartment. There's bar scene, and that's about it. And I can I, I I like those. I I also like those contained films that really have to work hard to keep you engaged um, and, and and do the you know the the kind of basic work of, of figuring out the kind of landscape that they're in and how does the camera move to make sure that that you know stays in logical and all that stuff. Absolutely, and I guess the other reason I like it is because it's also a heist movie. Mm. Um, yeah, which is always fun. You know, everyone loves a heist movie except people who don't, I suppose. But fuck them. Um, and you know that juxtaposition of the mob stuff, the heist movie, and it's kind of the fact that um, Jennifer Tilly and Tina Gershon's characters um, are gay is kind of like a. It's an interesting redoing of that kind of like because if this film start if this film was about Jennifer Tilly and um you know the character Shelley that they no no the character well Mel Gibson if this movie's about Jennifer Tilly like falling in love with the handyman Mel Gibson I think it's a very different yeah. movie and a very boring like well-worn plot and that would be totally mm-hmm. forgotten but in 1996 I think that like um, and I've got some trivia later on but I think that you know this was this was quite a sort of bold thing to have this movie hinge on and so it makes it quite engaging because you know i think caesar's righteous anger is more about less about her going off with somebody else and more about her going off with a woman and mm. and and it just makes it you know it's so it's, it's just that little bit what's the word i'm looking for intriguing in that way and and um so anyway i watched this maybe last year uh, and and I've watched it two or three times since. I think it's a, it's a really great movie that just kind of like, you know, it gives you everything you need and then stops. Yeah, yeah. Ross? Yes? Why do you love this movie, Ross? Tell oh. us about your views on this movie. You know, th- that, that thing we're doing on a podcast where we talk about movies. Go. Oh, okay, fair enough. I mean, I think I've got time. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I um, I think I am at the opposite spectrum to you and Dave. Um Whilst I will concede that, uh, like you said, Sam, that, that sex scene was actually uh, very good. And what I mean by <laughs> really it, without, <laughs> without trying to sound like, like like a thirsty fucker, but I mean, like it, it, it seemed uh, genuine. Um, no. <laughs> no problem. Uh, but yeah, it, it seemed genuine. But And to me, that was their, and I don't know if this is going to sound derogatory or insulting, but for me, that was their, that was the height of their acting ability. Because that seemed genuine, and the rest of the scenes with those two interacting was just so wooden. I mean, I I give you guys a couple of examples of the the dialogue between them, and I can't uh, discern whether it's just piss poor writing or piss poor acting. Um, like one of the lines, like like you know that that I used for the intro, like at the end was when she says, "Do you know what the difference between you and me is?" And she goes, "No, me neither." 
the fuck does that mean? What are you? What are you? Now that line would be a lot better paid off if you know th- there was some similar lines like that earlier in the movie and it had a different outcome. And then they say it now at the end, and they say that you know as as a callback. Ah, that's very clever. But it, it makes no fucking sense. One of the other lines is it's when these two women are are sort of uh, speaking to one another for the first time, and. Um, What's the what's the actress's name, Dave? The lady who was in Liar Liar. Uh, Jennifer Tilly. Jennifer Tilly. One of her lines is, "Oh, I'm in awe of people who can repair things. In awe, in awe. Are you fucking for real? Like a handyman. So like she's she's like you know she her jaw drops for the janitor she sees fucking fixing the light bulb. It's just, and I'm not saying that the character can't be drawn to people who work with their hands. I'm just saying that the way." You know that those feelings are conveyed in the words and the writing is just terrible, um, and I and that's what I mean when I say I don't know if it's because it's just poor writing or uh, or and if the actors are confined to it or if it's just really poor acting because the, the the scenes between them is very wooden and there's not a lot of sort of improv or you don't feel like the, the the actors sort of like respond to one another it 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 feels like they're rehearsing lines rather than acting them. Um, the most the, the the time when I was most sort of engaged during this movie was when, what's his face from Bad Boys, Dave? Thank you, Joe Pantoliano. That guy, when uh, you know his scenes because he has energy, he projects, he's entertaining. That's when I was gripped, and you know when and when the high stuff was going on, yeah, I was somewhat captivated there, but. Uh, yeah, just on the whole, I thought this movie was poor. Couple of things that I don't like. I know Sam, you're gonna <clears throat> shut me down for for like you know get, getting annoyed at the little things, but there were some things. It, it, I I've got real pet peeves for when something happens in a movie just to move the plot on, rather than something that would naturally co- occur within a story, and then the effect is that moves the plot on. The example of I this know is exactly what you're gonna say. <laughs> do you? Um, so the part I'm referring to is when they somehow manage to pull off the first part of the heist. So the guy thinks that Shelley has taken Joe's money and like it's brilliant. And, he, you know, he kills the mobsters and he starts panicking. And then she calls her when she knows he's in the next room. She calls uh, Gina and it's like, oh, he's going crazy. He's going mad. Like, and you just know he's going to come in. And when you know, like a, car- a person really in that situation would not call for fear of this person who's walking around the apartment with the gun will walk in on them. And then obviously because he caught her with the phone, oh she's in danger and then the other woman comes to try and rescue them and that puts the plot onward. It I just... do see what you mean, Ross, it is a point and it and it is absolutely a they would have gotten away with it if it wasn't for that damn pesky phone call. If she just if she just shut the fuck up. She she was she was home and dry. But to uh, fucking, you know, to raise the stakes, that's why she she was called. And it's just, yeah, it's just really disappointing. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, there's other there's other bits as well that uh, really annoyed me, for instance. We can get into that when we go into more of, more of the plot, Ross. Just, just to, to my, my kind of views on this, I think this is really, really accomplished filmmaking. Honestly, I, I, I'm very much with Dave on this and thinking this is a film that is... is Number one, it's got, a, a, I think, a really, really strong screenplay, and I, and and as much as there's lots to do with the cinematography and the thematic elements of this movie, this film knows what it's what it's trying to do from the beginning, 
it is a great example of setup and payoff. It's a great example of keeping the audience with you and letting them, helping them understand what's happening and the complexities of the situations. And it is quite, it is a relatively complicated script, uh, a screenplay in terms of how people need to move around and, and how certain events need to happen. And I agree, Ross, that phone call is a bit, is a bit silly. Like it's a bit kind of amateurish and you wonder about the motivation of the character and kind of doing that in the situation they're in. However, I think other than that, I think it manages to set up really, really well all of the different situations. A good example is the, um, so Joey Pants kills the mob boss. And then we have this kind of funny situation where nobody else knows the mob boss is dead, but the mob boss is on a plane. And so there's enough time for them to for, for, for Joey Pants to say, well, there's a delay or there's something called there's been a car crash or whatever it is for the other people who, who are interested in, in where this money is um, to figure out to not figure out that there's something going on. So there's all these like complexities. I think they really, they just do a really good job. I think without that, they wouldn't be able to keep the show on the road. And that is the point that I think that number one is really good. Again, Wachowski's first time directing, you know, I think that is really hard to, hard to do in your first film. Um, The other aspect I think of this is the cinematography and the direction. And I think it is remarkably good. Like there's some of the shots. There's one shot where the mob boss is is, is killed, and he's falling backwards, and the mm. camera must be attached to his, like on a, on a attached to his feet somehow, because the camera follows him perfectly, with with the camera on his feet, and you kind of see him falling backwards, and it, it goes in that arc as he falls. Honestly, absolutely beautiful. Well, um, on that some... note, Sam, the cinematography, the, the lead cinematographer was Bill Pope, um, who's a, you know had a decent career, worked with the Wachowskis quite a lot. Um, yeah. But it's interesting that he done he was also did the cinematography in previous episode of Blank Check. Oh, Blank Check, damn. Uh, he also went a, on to was... do all the Matrix films, uh, Bedazzled, um, Spider-Man 2 and 3, Team America, uh, Scott Pilgrim versus the World, um, yeah. he's, a couple he's, of El- Edgar Wright films. Like he's a very accomplished cinematographer. Um, yeah, and, and I think I think you can really see that link to the Edgar Wright, um, uh, uh, some of the, some of that uh, that feel. You know, the the, the kind of the, the just just the way the camera moves, I think, is absolutely astounding. Um, it really is. And so thirdly, I think, again, it's just going back to the start. I think this film really is breaking ground in 1996 um, for, for including gay characters in a way that I, I really disagree with us. I don't think this film is about the fact that they're gay. I think the film is, is could be, that could be, not whether or not they're two men, two women, man, woman, whatever, it, it doesn't really make any difference. Ghost and horse, I think it's fine. It doesn't matter what combination you have in there because it's about the the characters working together. Well, I think, like you said, to... Sam, it's it's if you replace Corky's character with a man, the plot of this film does not substantially change. Exactly, I think that is that for 1996 is really, really quite new, and and something that I think has been recognised as that in the in the way that I think I've, I've read a quote that this isn't necessarily an LGBT movie, in the way that you there's a kind of genre of that, but it's a film that is. LG, 
upbeat inclusive and, and it isn't trying positive to kind of, yeah it isn't trying to thrust that as the main um as a, a function of the film but it does so in a way that's just really subtle really underlines the um the the the, the story the screenplay the cinematography first and then has that as the the kind of a nice theme thread throughout and obviously there's lots of imagery around um people literally stuck in closets <laughs> and how that might and obviously the Wachowskis <laughs> the, the Wachowskis later on might um might might have uh, the, the, there might be kind of themes there that are hinting towards some of the things that would happen in their lives um and, and some of the, the kind of changes that they made so I I really enjoyed this. I I came out thinking, what a movie! Like this was this was something that was very surprising, and uh, I'm surprised oh, that good. You, you didn't like it, Ross. I really am surprised. Well, we'll get into I that think. More. Well, just um, if I can just uh, respond just to what Sam said about uh, yeah, you know my feelings on the lesbian thing, because I I want to stress here for you know for our non-existent listeners that. I don't actually have a problem with you know them being lesbian, but I just no, of course not. and I thought maybe it was maybe my pickup was wrong, but I just thought that they were trying to make a big deal out of the fact that they were lesbians. Do you know? And I, I'm trying hard to distinguish between <clears throat> or to make a distinction between what you're saying, Sam, and what I'm trying to convey, which is that it feels like they're trying to pat themselves on the back so much. Like by saying, "Hey, look, uh, lead characters who are gay," but you know, "Hey, who else does that?" And it's fantastic they have done that, but it's it feels like they're doing it for the kudos. And and again, I'm not basing that on anything. That is just me, my first impression. And I think you're 100 percent right, Sam. That for 1996, this is incredibly sort of progressive. Um, for 1996, but, uh, indeed. <laughs> well done. The one thing I would say is though is that it, it feels a bit forced because it felt like that even though they're they're you know they're a, they're a gay couple, it felt like that they had to make one of the characters the masculine sort of role in it so that it would be more accepting to people. Does that make sense? So she's a handy person. She's a bit of a badass. I mean, she's yeah, uh, not but... badass, but you know, she's a bit. She works with her hands, you know, because you know only masculine people work with their hands. And to I just be fair, think... though, Ross, I think there is like a there is like a subculture, isn't there? That I have know nothing about other than this. But in terms of like different, you know, how 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 people rep, uh, represent themselves, and that would be a, a very pretty recognizable way versus Violet, who goes on the more feminine side, but not necessarily. So. Mm -hmm. I, I know what you're saying, but I think I think it's I think in the I think the context of it is really is really really important. And I think for 1996, where th there there isn't there isn't that there isn't this representation at all. I think even though even though it might be a bit rough around the edges and it might be a bit kind of trying to like present itself very clearly, it's doing that because it has to. It has to really lean on that, and that's where maybe the sex scene comes in in terms of trying to like get lots of attention and titillate a bit yeah but 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 at the same time i think the you know the sex scene was was filmed and was kind of directed by uh, i'm looking for the name susie bright who is a was a was a sex educator at, at the time and 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 so was very you know was seen as quite um uh, authentic and, and and quite kind of trying to portray lesbian sex in a way that's it's kind of positive and isn't just 
the the same kind of tropes you know quite quite kind of in a more feminist route than maybe we've seen before but either way i think i think i think your view is a legitimate view i just think it's i just don't it's like the rest it's it's the rest of the movie though taking away the stuff you don't like it's the rest of the movie that i think is just so engaging it's so engaging that this whole the tension that they managed to to build up and the points where you think, oh no, it's all going to fall apart, and they manage to find a, a new way out, I, I think is, I think it's great. I think it's just really, really good filmmaking in a way that it's it's really difficult to to get. It's a classic. Point. It's a classic. Uh, heist goes wrong, but then it all somehow comes good. Um, yeah. So let's get into the plot of this movie because I think it's it's simultaneously quite a quite a simple plot compared to some of the movies we've done recently. Um, there aren't a lot of beats here. Um, but it's quite complex in terms of the the sheer number of times that they really should be found out and murdered and, <laughs> and all that. Um, so uh, we haven't been using character names, but the, the so um, Joe Pantoliano plays Caesar. He's the mob main mobster guy. He's going out with Jennifer Tilly's character, which is Violet, I believe, and Gina Gershon's character is called Corky. Terrible name, but okay. Yeah. Um, and so. The heist is kind of... So in this early movie, in the early bit of this movie, we meet the characters and we kind of introduce them and, and Violet and Corky meet and there's kind of this flirtation going on. And um, and there's some fun little bits and you mentioned, Ross, how about jo- Joe Pantoliano has some of this. I, I kind of quite agree has some of the more affecting scenes and I think it maybe has to do a lot more of the heavy lifting than the rest of the cast. He's got broad shoulders. Um, he has. And for a man who is must be five foot five if he's an inch. Um... <laughs> <laughs> There's this great scene when um, when we first meet everyone and Corky comes over to uh, get a, a, a ring or something out of the, the waste disposable for Violet and Caesar comes in and he sees this pair of boots and he is ramping up and you can see Joe you can see Joe Pantoliano like getting more and more angry and he's going through to the room and he sees you know like the beer cap on the counter and he's like oh there's a man here I'm gonna go in and I'm gonna kill him that's and and he opens the door. And it's Corky, and it's this woman, and he just drops all of that. Like, it's this wonderful sort of like, oh, yes. it's all fine. She can't possibly be cheating on me because oh, that's a, a woman, not a man. And it's, I think, a wonderful, just a wonderful little scene in this movie that works perfectly because it's just this like, and it tells you everything you need to know about Caesar's character in that, just in that one scene. You know, like, the, the, you can see where he's going from like, been absolutely fine to violence like you can see he's going to commit violence which comes back later in the movie and that he is a man who is used to just like switching it on you know straight away like you know he would have murdered that person had it been a man you know it's interesting um, absolutely so like, we have like... yeah, go on. um so we have that and then we, we have kind of like a in a similar way to um other movies we've done we have a mob film happening in the background of this love story in the first half <laughs> um, yeah. So, like Violet and uh, Corky are sort of getting to know each other in the flirtation, and, and there's that that culminates in the sex scene between the two of them. Meanwhile, um, this uh, character we never meet properly uh, called Shelley, who's a friend of Violet's, um, who's been skimming from the mob. Uh, he gets dragged into Caesar's house, which I suppose is designated uh, the place where we torture people who steal from us. Um, and and our mob characters use a pair of garden sacateurs to cut all of his fingers off. Um, which all happens off screen in this brilliant way, and that's where my quote, where the beginning comes from, where um, they have uh, Shelley like bent over the toilet, his head's in the toilet bowl, his 
hands hands are sort of tied behind his back and they've got these garden shears and he puts it around his little finger and he says listen Shelley you've got you've got 10 chances to tell me what I want to know basically and it's mm-hmm. like and by not actually showing you that I think it's like a really good use of 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 violence I think it's a really yeah. like because um, it's a mean? violent it's, movie yeah it, it really is a violent movie like there's there's some of the scenes that he's getting his head smashed off the off the toilet and it's and it, it I think it's yeah it's using it for a purpose and it's kind of like and again that's where it comes down to that real craft of of knowing when to apply it and knowing when to say actually let's not show it and 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 then come just coming back to that setup and payoff idea and because they use these they use these secateurs at the start of the movie to chop off Shelley's fingers and that uh, that concept of I'm going to give you ten ten chances and we give you ten chances to tell me where the money is or whatever else. I really like uh, th- that comes back again, uh, and Caesar uses it on on um, on Violet. So you yeah. get all these you get all these great little kind of um, hints of what's going to come, and then it always circles back around. The other example is lock picking, and that's in this movie and multiple. Oh. Mul- multiple different um occasions where somebody's picking a lock and and what they what just how they managed to create so much tension from these lock picking scenes is a bit where they're, they're picking a lock on the suitcase and then someone's trying to get in the door and and it always just rank it always just ranks up really ranks up the tension really well i think it's just it, it's like almost using these different um ideas to to give the audience a, a kind of heads up of what's happening. Here's the tension. Here's the bit where we're going to see something exciting happening, and then using that repeatedly. I think it's it's clever and it makes it easy to watch. Can There's I also give several my... characters like we said? Yeah, Roscoe. Uh... Can I give my thoughts on two of those lock picking scenes? Which two? But go uh, on, yes. The well, one of them is where Gina, the woman with the constant sort of gurn on her face. Um, I where think she that's goes, just what that woman's face looks like, Ross. But okay, it's a, it's a shame. <laughs> God, Corky, it's not Corky. Yeah, Corky. When Corky goes to try and save, um, uh, what's her name? Vi, Veronica. Violet. 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 Thank you. God, you sound um, this week or what? I know. Uh, when Corky goes to try and save uh, Violet, after she inexplicably called her. And she pulls the. Well, she did this actually when she was unlocking the briefcase, but she pulls the lock picks out of her earrings, or, or the, her lock picks, or her earrings are lock picks. I just thought that's totally unnecessary. But uh, whatever, moving on. I thought one, I I wanted I wanted, I thought that was fine, and I noticed it as well, Ross, both times, especially when she's doing the suitcase. And and my take on it was it's just quite slick, like it's established that this character is like an ex-con and you know a criminal, and she's. Do you know what I mean? It's established that she's um, handy. She knows, you know, she's capable, and that's yeah. kind of just like a, you know. Yes, I, they're there I, I get then that. They're there. I get that. I get that. But think of the logistics of this. She walks around with lockpicks as her earrings, uh, fucking tools dangling off your ear, and I get it's a cool, slick thing. But I, th- I think the the same thing could have been achieved by like you know pulling out of a like a hidden pouch in her. In her boot or something like that, but you know, or like it's 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 the clasp on her belt, and she pulls pins out of that. That'd be. She has a Batman have... utility belt. I mean, <laughs> I'm, I'm into it, Ross, but I'm not sure it would have had the effect you're thinking. I'm but, just, but I not, just right, thought it a bit. Do you not think though that it's that it's about like 
like a lot of films are literal films where you you know things happen in kind of ways that make sense in the real world and then there's some films where you just kind of have to like accept what's happening based on the rules that the that the film creates i think this is one of those movies where it is really really over the top it is stylized to to, to hell and back. okay yeah and i mean that that one is not a hill i'm willing to die on so i'll yeah, no, i'm I know, more than happy to concede that <laughs> But but, but However, just generally though, but just generally, I think one of one of the things that you know, this is a this is a noir a noir movie, and I think that is yeah where I think maybe I'm more forgiving to some of the liberties that they've taken because they've gone for, because they're going for a certain um, style, they're going for a certain feel that I think some of their decisions end up you know really supporting that and and. I think that's maybe it's a small example example where the the style over function of of having that being a cool thing to have in her in her earrings you know what I mean all these all these kind of like little touches I think adds to the overall picture even if in itself it could be you know make you think well why would they do that but it adds to the the the, the yeah. overall cause of the film yeah okay F- fair enough I'll concede however the other issue I had with the lockpicking scenes was the scene where the other two mobsters show up after uh, uh, Caesar's killed them, and so like the obviously they, it's they don't Mickey sus- and his sidekick, Mickey and his sidekick. So they don't suspect Caesar at this point, and he gives them the case of what they think is money, but it's actually newspapers. And he goes, "Have you got the key?" And Caesar says, "Oh yeah, I left it in the pants pocket in the bathroom." And then he says, "I don't need a key." Not when I've got lockpicks. I'm like, you wouldn't do that because it'd be much more difficult to lockpick a suitcase rather than, oh, walk the 10 feet into the bathroom to get the key. That, again, that was raising the stakes for just the sake of it. You like, you wouldn't do that. Oh, have you got the key? Yeah, it's right there on the shelf. Ah, don't worry about it. I'll just, you know, I'll, I'll crack this safe myself. Just, again, it's my, 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 it may be minute, but it annoyed me. I, I can kind of see that. Like, I don't really have a retort there other than um, maybe this character's trying to show off a little. But I guess why. But, yeah, I think that's a fair one, Ross, where it is just there to ramp up the tension and have Caesar sweat a little bit more. And, but but and again, then... isn't, that, isn't that all right? Isn't that, like, the point of... Because it's a theme. It's, 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 a, it's a thematic element in the movie that's trying to... You know, along with all the other subtexts. But it has to happen organically, Sam. It can't just like if if we're doing just to raise the stakes, why don't you know why don't the ghosts of the mobsters he killed come in and start, you know, dropping vases trying to warn them? It's yeah. because there's well, certain Ross, limitations put that you have in to your, place. put that in your back pocket for how to make this better for a better <laughs> film. I've 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 yeah, okay, fair, fair. <laughs> um so the next thing I wanted to talk about, um is is kind of the mob nonsense in this. So we've kind of touched on it quite a lot, but the idea here is that they've recovered the money from Shelley and we get these great scenes of um, Caesar literally washing this money, uh, which I really liked in the apartment. And then it basically is established that the mob boss is going to fly in and get this money from Caesar. It's quite a big get for Caesar, like maybe he'll get a step up or something. Um, and they're going to arrive at you know X time. And that's kind of like the that's where the plan is hatched from, you know, because they know when they're going to arrive and, and certain um, niceties that will need to be observed. So the idea is to pin this crime on um, Johnny, 
who's kind of like the son of this this mob boss, um, played by the great um, Italian name man. Christopher me. Maloney. Christopher, the great Christopher Maloney. Um, who, he is brilliant. Yeah, kind of like quite a small <coughs> role in this, but I think um, perfect for it. Um, and they try and pin this whole crime on him so that Caesar will be left in this position where when these mob guys arrive and find there's no money, they'll be like, oh, well, obviously Caesar's stolen it. <laughs> um, which I think is really cool. Um, it's a, it's a, it's a nice sort of, you get to see Caesar like using his, obviously he knows exactly what's going to happen when they find out the money's gone. And he knows exactly what's going to happen to him. And he knows exactly like what he needs to do to forestall this so that he can A, find the money or B, run away. Um, and I think that that's quite well illustrated in this film. And like Sam said, I certainly take that as like a really, you know, a view of really competent filmmaking because we're told all of this, but without us sitting in front of a whiteboard while, you know, do you know what I mean? Corky like outlines exactly what's going to happen. I think that it unfolds quite nicely. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I think I think that's the, the scene where, um, where the mob boss uh, Johnny, his son Caesar, um, you know Violet's uh, boyfriend and Violet are in are in they're in the room, and you can see it all starting to unravel. You can see the that that Caesar accuses Johnny of stealing the money. Johnny hasn't got a clue because he didn't steal it. Violet did. Violet and Corky did. And all of this is based on Violet saying, I saw Johnny downstairs when I went to buy some scotch and then the money's gone. And so it, it's it's all these like layers of lies and that scene where where he where Caesar confronts Johnny about the money and he hasn't got a clue what's going on. <laughs> and then he's pointing his gun, Caesar's pointing his gun at Johnny saying, just tell me, just admit it, admit it. And then he's pointing the gun at the, at the, the mob boss and then all of a sudden... He's Fucking killed. Caesar is a gunslinger, by the way. Yeah, he's he killed, killed he's, all he's four killed of these men. people. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. It's crazy. Um, and and Violet is and there's this lovely moment where Violet has this expression on her face of like, "What have I done? <laughs> what a, have I done?" It's a great moment. And I I've think made a possibly, huge mistake. <laughs> yeah, exactly. My favorite line from Caesar from um, Joe Pantoliano in this film. Um, he's killed them all. He's killed Johnny, uh, and he says. He says, I'm a dead man, Johnny. I'm a fucking dead man. Guess again, Johnny. Who's the dead man? Who? Who's dead fuckface? Who? Who? I can't hear you, Johnny. On. Guess again. Take another guess, Johnny. Take Johnny is dead <laughs> throughout all of this. <laughs> yeah. It just goes on and on and on. You're like, wow, it's, this guy's I, It's a He's really cracked. electric performance and it's, it's kind of it's, fantastic for it. It's one of the things that I think you could criticise. I'm not sure if I do criticise it because <laughs> I think it adds to the, again, it adds to the overall noir feel. At the end, obviously, they managed to get the money, um, Corky and Viola, and and uh, everyone else is dead. And there doesn't seem any point where they're like, "Oh my God, what have we done? We've caught we we have directly caused the deaths of at least six people here." And nobody's like, neither of them seem to be particularly bothered by that. I don't necessarily think that's a problem because I think again, the the universe, the the, the film um, universe that's been created, the rules are consistent for them not to do that because it is a noir film. And because of these people are so objectionable, but I, 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 I've almost wanted to see more of that of Violet in that scene where she realizes what she's done, <laughs> and the extent of her lies have created this, all of this death and destruction, and you know Caesar's losing his mind, and it's quite it's quite interesting to watch. 
from a mob point of view, it kind of all makes sense though. Like um, Violet obviously understands how quickly and you know you'll be murdered by the mob. There's just no two ways about it. You can't, you know. And she realizes that as soon as she said to Caesar, "Oh, I saw Johnny downstairs." She knows if it comes out that she took the money, she's dead. Corky's dead. She knows that. And then when Caesar finds out that they took the money, and that you know, even though he, the money isn't there, he knows. He says, "There's no way I can talk my way out of this." You know, he knows he's dead if he doesn't find that money or pin it on someone else. And it's kind of like, it's really clear to us, the viewer, as well, that these characters know that. So they're not like stopping to fuck around to be like. Oh, what have I done? Is there any way to undo it? Because, you know, this is the mob. You don't fuck with the mob. They'll kill yeah. you. Um, and that's kind of like in that tradition of mob movies where, you know... And obviously, and then Caesar, that's what leads Caesar to sort of, like, shoot all these guys is because he feels that there's no other way out. You know, he has to kill them before they kill him. Um, and, and for me, that all works, like, that all, like, works from a tension point of view perfectly. You know, even from Corky's point of view, and she's absent from a lot of this... Um, because she's she's next door, you know, with a glass against the wall almost. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Ross, you, you mentioned not liking um, Jennifer Tilly's uh, performance, but I actually think it's really, really, um, it's really, really well observed. Like that that mob uh, girlfriend, mob wife, I suppose. You know, like that real like somebody who is 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 trapped in this world and kind of like is enjoy enjoys the benefits of it in terms of the money and the nice apartment and all this stuff but really fundamentally is quite dead inside you know and and she's not she's 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 really looking for something else something new and what what uh, i would say is to, to retort there sam is that in those scenes that you're describing where basically you know you know where where uh, uh, what's his name? John Caesar. Yes, Caesar. Joe Pantoliano. <laughs> Joe Pantoliano. Joey Pants for sure. In those scenes where that. you know, like where stuff is happening to uh, to Violet, you know, or things that happen, like you said, you know, and she's like, "Oh, the shit's hit the fan here." I, I, I think that her personality or the character's personality is that you know that they're a lit, they're a bit. Not meek, but they're a little less uh, outward projecting, you know, in these sort of scenes because obviously it's you know the men are in the in the room and the men are talking business, so she's sort of serving them drinks, you know. I I imagine, you know, I haven't seen like you know the universe beforehand, but I think you know it's easier for her to play those scenes because she doesn't have to portray much other than slight shock because that char- that character usually in other movies would be quite reserved because they don't want to make. Uh, themselves t- too much of a the 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 source of attention, um you know because they might you know draw on the sort of the, the anger of the of their boyfriend things like that you know by flirting with others. Th- the point I'm making is though like the, I I imagine that in those scenes where she where it would appear she's doing quite well is because it's easier to portray yourself as projecting less. Than in the other scenes where she's with uh, Corky, you know, and that's where she's a lot more, uh, uh, not uh, what's the word, introverted. She's a lot more, you know, she's trying to seduce her. She even says, "I'm trying to seduce her," you know, wets her hand, puts it down between her thighs, you know. But in those scenes where she's a lot more sort of uh, verbal about what she wants and who she's acting with, it's it's just so wooden, and especially when she's interacting with 
the the other character it's just it's just so dead so you're saying she's more wooden when she's with corky yeah definitely right but do you not think do you not think that this that's intentional because i i think that she's she's playing up in the um when she's with with men basically she's playing up her femininity she's being sexier she's being more of a you know like she, she's yeah she's serving the drinks and she's trying to be and then when when, but when the word her Gorky, words still her words still portray femininity but she just does a poor job of showing it in mm, the scenes with I, corky i don't know i really like her performance i really do and i think when but, but i even, think that's the i think that's the point i think the point is that when she's with corky she doesn't have to do that she doesn't have to play the the you know the that role in terms of being the, the sexy girlfriend she can just she can no, turn no, off she, she can doesn't. switch off a bit and i but think her, that, that but is her, the thing is her words and her you know body language betray each other because we we can't say that you know she doesn't have to act like that in front of corky because you know because she can be herself but she's still saying those types of things to sort of try and seduce corky she says herself she's trying to seduce her and you know, oh, I and like I said, you know, you know, looking talking about her hands, I'm in awe of people who can fix things and stuff like that. Her words, but if if your sort of theory was correct, Sam, her words would betray her body language, or the other side of that coin is, you know, she is, you know, she she is being flirtatious with Corky and she does want to sleep with her, but her body language betrays the words. They don't mm -hmm. marry up, is what I'm saying. And in those scenes where it's those two who are trying to carry the scene forward. It's so the energy is non-existent and it's so dead, and and that's why you know through the, through this sort of th this episode I've been I, I couldn't decide is it bad acting or bad writing and I'm starting to lean more maybe it's just on bad acting maybe they just can't act or or what but yeah if if it's um, yeah just she's yeah just poor. I think Dave, as usual, I think as that? usual, it's one of these things where it either works for you or you don't, or it doesn't. Mm -hmm. And I think there's no, you know, there's no accounting for that. And I don't, again, I don't think it's worth us really reinventing the wheel with this. But I, I again, I'm very more on the side of Sam here, where I think that um, that tentativeness and that difference in character, I took as her doing a decent job at acting. Um, but then I, I, you know, I couldn't say definitively. Because I'm not a, you know, I'm not a, a filmmaker or an expert really. I couldn't say definitively that that's the case, but that's certainly the way it, how it came across for me. Is that, you know, we're told quite clearly by Jennifer Tilly's character um, Violet that when she's with Caesar, that's that's her job. That's acting. You know, she's she's pretending then, and then when she's with Corky, that's who she you know really wants to be, but she can't be because you know she's with Caesar and and she's sort of trapped in this relationship. But again. You know, I think it's a very sort of like on the fence type role. So I don't want to sort of, you know, definitively come down and say either one of you is wrong. Oh, yeah, I think that's great. Uh, the other, the, the, the last thing, the, the kind of major things that I really liked is, is actually how funny this movie is. Like, it's really quite playful and, and it's, and it, rem it's almost, it, I think Roger Ebert called it like, it was almost like Marx Brothers. Like you know, like farcical. And the bit with the, the bit with the cops at the end is is one of the best bits like that. Yeah, um, it's just it's just really it's just really fun. There's like such an element of fun in this, and in the way that <laughs> covering up murders is fun. You heard it here first. 
It is. It is. It's. 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 It, it, it's humorous, and it's not. It's not taking itself too seriously, except where it needs to. And and I think there's. Yeah, I just I liked I liked that element to it, and I liked how they 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 kind of leaned on the absurdity of what's happening as much as the horror and violence of it, because it is violent and it is scary, and you do empathise with these. You know, especially with with Violet, and, uh, who, who's who's trapped in this horrible situation with these horrible men. But at the same time, it's kind of like it, it's kind of poking fun a little bit at this type of movie as well, um, and and leans on some of the kind of more the, the the funnier elements, which I think is kind of fun. I like I like that feel. No, I I agree. Um, what I think we should do is we're, we're sort of like we're coming up to what well, just an hour here right ish aren't we um i definitely want to hear from you ross in a moment just about how you would fix this film because i think you know despite miss ham and i loving it i do think you know there's like any film there is space for improvement um and i'm certain you have thoughts however i just want to talk briefly there's a really really cool set of shots in this um which really jumped at me because um i watched taxi driver last week and it's that um we get quite a lot of camera pans from Caesar's apartment to the apartment next door where Corky's oh, working. Yeah. Mm. So the way that they achieve this is they have the camera on a on a so what do you call it like a like a, a rail, and it and it swings. It's pointing downwards, and it just um, it goes on this rail straight over the water dividing wall into the next apartment where Corky is, um, and we get this a couple of times as like a like a you know a, like a reminder of where people are. But I just think it's such a it's such a wonderful one shot that you know especially now with digital cameras we get you know much fewer of these because often um you know set spaces are smaller and things like that. there's lots of practical reasons why we don't see as much of this anymore but this is 1996 you know digital cameras are you know a few years off and a decent cgi is a few years off so we're kind of at like the peak of um traditional filmmaking i think i i I, I love the cinematography in this. I think it, honestly, there's there's a bit where um, Caesar's chasing Violet down some a stairwell, mm. and it goes down, and you get you get the classic shot of you know shot shot down the stairwell. Like you can see them running, and you get it out of the way where Caesar's hanging over the rail chasing them. But then you also get these like these um, it's kind of like sweeping shots where they're they're going down the stairs, they're going round the the kind of ninety degree or, or one eighty degree stairwell, and and the camera's like kind of floating around them. I just think it's brilliant, and there's so many good examples of that. You could almost just go through and just mark them and say, "Look at that shot! Look at that shot! Look at that shot!" Because they're they're just endless. We've mentioned the cinematography already, but I think I think it's the direction. I think it's the Wiskowski's ability to express feeling and emotion and all that stuff through the movement of the camera in a way that I think you're right Dave we don't get that anymore because most of the movies you know that, that are made are made for very very broad, broad audiences where we don't want to see they, they don't want to see stuff like that because it's distracting it's also I think it's a little bit of a little bit of that Sam and a little bit of it's just cheaper not to do it yeah and, and, and people that's don't not have what and people don't have the skill because the industry has changed but you know, um, in in the nineties, and we talk about the nineties all the time, but like we're really on that precipice of like digital CGI computer stuff becoming the norm and becoming the sta- industry standard. And films like this <laughs> kind of like 
and we're going to do the Matrix in a couple of weeks, which is another with the next film the Wachowskis did, um, which I believe you even like, Ross. So I'm looking forward to that. And massive Matrix that, fan. That exactly, and that's kind of like you know one of the you know last movies that uses quite a lot of practical effects. When you know nowadays, even even a couple of years after it was made, it you know ninety percent of that would be replaced by CGI. In 1996, if you were a cinematographer of any worth, you knew how to do stuff like this. And, and if you are a cinematographer now, that's possibly something that, you know, isn't part of the part of the job. It's not a core fundamental part of the job anymore. Yeah. But I know, and Ross, after this, you can you can get on your how to fix it. But I think it's also about this is a first time directing role uh, for, for Wachowski's like that. That in itself to be so brave, to be so clear in your vision and to bring all of these elements together with really really top quality cinematography and really really top quality direction i think is again it's remarkable how attuned i i think this movie is and just how how tight it is in a way that it could so easily be a lot lot looser a lot sloppier and not really have that and and you'd lose so much of it um but ross tell us how we can how we can fix this movie for you for me it's i think it's a very uh, quick and easy fix um, and it's recast the two leading characters. Um, genuinely, like um, Gina, the Gershaw. actress. Yeah. Gina Gershaw. Yeah, uh, she has an incredibly gorgeous, dusky, sexy voice. But the talent ends there for me, and I think you could have got two other sort of talented actresses or actors or whichever. And I think, and you know, and show them having on on camera chemistry. I think that for for me, because then I could, yeah, it would just it would make their scenes a lot more fucking engaging if you actually believed. Because, like I said at the start of this, uh, at the start of this episode, actually, that it felt like they were reciting lines rather than fucking, you know, feeling. The, what they're supposed to be feeling as as actors, as you know, putting on a performance, it just felt they were, you know, just memorizing the script rather and regurgitating it rather than acting out what these characters are trying to portray. And I think recasting them with talented uh, actors, with uh, on stage chemistry, so you can actually feel the sort of the the attraction and and the the sort of the the lust they have for one another. Um, and I think that would make then the stakes that are raised throughout the movie then all that more higher because you believe that they have this sort of forbidden love between one another. Hey, if that's all it takes to fix this movie, Ross, then I'm Genuinely. But that should tell you as well how much it ruined it for me. The fact that I think... Because like, I was watching 20 minutes and I was like, these people are annoying the fuck out of me. It just felt so wooden. I said wooden, flat, cardboard. It's just... I think, I think recasting those. I think I would. You would have got a lot. Of, a much it, different um, movie. Are you fucking joking, Dave? Two hours <laughs> or something, and it's just like. <laughs> and I can kind of get what you mean, Ross. It's kind of one of those movies that needs to grab you when it grabs you, and 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 it obviously didn't. And you know, I I you know, I think your comments are again. It's fine not to like a movie. It's absolutely fine to have issues with with actors. Um, do you have any anyone in mind in nineteen ninety six who could do this? Oh Christ! Um, nope. <laughs> that's good. That's Homework for next time. It's <laughs> twenty-four years ago. <laughs> Jesus. Right. Yeah. Be... 
That's just like two or three years ago, though, really, in, in real time. Surely. It's like dog years or something. Yeah, um, sure. So I have a couple of bits of trivia I just want to just want to rattle through because um, I think there's some interesting bits here. Um, but thanks for that, Ross. It's good to know, again, like, crystallise, you know, really why you didn't like this film. Um, and, I, and Jennifer Tilly is an actress who I... I think is only okay in most things. Um, so so yeah. I can kind of see your point. So bits of trivia. Um, the scene in the bar with Corky, um, the woman who choreographed the sex scene, whose name was Susie Bright, I believe. Yeah, that's correct. Mm-hmm. Uh, good, good memory for me. Um, in the scene in the bar, she Susie Bright uh, has a cameo as the woman that Corky goes and flirts with. Oh, nice! And all of the all of the women in that bar, um, Susie Bright, uh, who who I think is 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 a lesbian in in, in real life, um, basically she calls all of her mates, and so she's she's quoted as saying um, that scene is like a, you know is is full of um, you know real uh, San Francisco dykes were her words. Uh, that is like, you know, it's, and I, th- I think that's just like a, it's a really, and this film was really low budget and there's a lot of like things they did because of budget. And I think that's like a wonderful, like, obviously that cost them a lot less than having to cast actors. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah which cute. is really but It's fun. authentic as well. I, I do like stories like that. But like you yeah. just said, Sam, it does make it more authentic. But uh, so it, the other thing is to do with the ratings board. I talked about this earlier. <clears throat> so Jennifer Tilly had did an interview five, six years ago where she talked quite in depth about this film. And how um, neither her nor Gina Gershon are, are gay, and so it was quite it was quite difficult for them to do do the sex scene and to, I guess, find their way through that because it's something that you know it, you like like we said before, it's usually in this time at this time, if there's a film with lesbians in it, the film is about lesbians. Do you know mm. what I mean? And it's kind of whereas this isn't quite that. Um, but when they initially uh, submitted this film to be before a film's released, they have to submit it to the licensing board to get like an age rating in the uk we have like 18s and 15 and 12a and all that nonsense and in america it's uh i can't remember the exact name of it but it's it's an r rating isn't it nowadays um Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and basically the board came back and said you know we're going to give you an r rating um because of this sex scene and they were like well but why we don't see any 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 genitalia or any uh, like you know section you know any sexual organs or anything and basically, the, the <laughs> sticking point for the licensing board was that in the initial cut, you get a much more sensual scene um, where you see, um, I think it's um, Jennifer Tilly's hand um, on uh, Gina Gershon's crotch. And yeah. so the licensing board said, you know, it's the hand that's the issue. So what they did um, was they replaced that with a different take, which is a lot better lit um, you see a lot more nudity, but you don't dis- you don't specifically see the hand on the crotch, and then the licensing board were like, yeah, that's fine. So, so Jennifer stupid. Tilly is kind of like, well, so what happened was that you know there's far far more nudity, and you can see it far far better, and it's far less, um, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a it's a less artistic scene because the licensing board would have given them an R rating otherwise, which I think mm. is mad. Yeah, I think I think that it just goes to the stupidity of all of this, doesn't it? I think American rating boards in general yeah, are goodness me, who cares? Who cares? You know, even giving an R rating, I think I mean I guess there is nudity, but still, 
I think you could probably get away with. I mean, I, I could understand, understand the R rating for snipping off someone's finger. I, I could understand it for that, and you know, beating the shit out of someone with a toilet bowl, essentially. Yeah. But for the sex scene, is a bit. I mean, what's R, R in in you know in normal speak? It'd be like 18, an eighteen over here, Ross. Wow, um, wow. But I think the idea is with an R with in, in for American audiences, like it's something, uh, and it's changing a bit now. Like Deadpool was like the big sort of blockbuster that loads of people saw, even though it was an R rating. In America, like traditionally, if your film has an R rating, you aren't going to make money at box office because not enough people will go and see it because mm. families and you know teenagers mm. and. Do you know what I mean? And I think that it's like a death knell. So a lot of films for a lot of t- a long a long time, really, really just like watered stuff down so that they wouldn't get an R rating. Well, they did it with Terminator. It was yeah. you know like I think Terminator Two was like you know it was an R rating, and then Gen Wysis, um was like I think it was like you know R equivalent of like you know uh, Peggy Twelve. Yeah, and and it, the the reason for that is because like your money maker for films is yep. like families and teenagers. You know, people our age um, were, in theory, too busy having lives. Um, <laughs> I play Little COVID. do they know. <laughs> um, anyway, this is a fun conversation about an interesting and forgotten movie from the 90s. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I don't, I don't think I've ever spoken to somebody who saw this, you know, organically, really. And I only stumbled across it because of streaming media. Um, yeah, a film that I, I I really enjoyed watching, and one of those rare treats where you go in really not knowing what to expect and come away feeling uh, that you watched a a film that was better than you expected as well. Like, just well, well, Ross, all right, <laughs> but just you know, I think there's, there's so much. Ask me this, Ross: We've watched worse movies for this podcast, haven't we? Yes, and we'll watch worse movies again. But I think I expect to come away with. with I expected this film to be something different, and then when I think it ended up being so well crafted, and that's the bit I like is, and and I can agree with you, Ross, in terms of you know there's elements that didn't necessarily work in all places, but the overall quality of of just the filmmaking craft I really really like, and that's enough for me to, well, give the Wachowskis tens of millions of dollars to make a, a film that would you know fundamentally change cinema so which we will be doing in a couple of weeks yeah as well right. um so i hope we're all excited to watch the matrix i am indeed so that's it from us we'll see you next week see you later take care everyone did you like this episode do you in fact like our podcast or maybe you think we're idiots and you don't like our podcast either way we don't give a fuck. No. <laughs> Follow us on Twitter and let us know your thoughts. It's at ImaginaryPod, and we'll see you next time. <laughs>